How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, family day. Hope it has been a good one for you here. Holiday weekend. If you did have to work, I still hope you've... uh, been able to have some downtime and enjoy some time with family or friends and thank you so much for checking into inside sports tonight my name is reed wilkins today it is a best of edition and i always love these because it's some of the best segments we've had in recent weeks here on the show you're going to hear from new edmonton elks president victor Qui, former tsn broadcaster dan o'toole and some other pretty cool people as well i can tell you the edmonton oilers flew today Five-game road trip starts against Tampa Bay on Wednesday, and the Oilers' five-game winning streak came to a crashing halt last night, a very convincing 7-3 victory by the Minnesota Wild at Rogers Place. Now, it was a busy stretch for Edmonton. They played five games in seven days, but head coach Jay Woodcroft says he's uh, not talking too much about fatigue. I don't think uh, we're in the business of making excuses. The schedule is what the schedule is, and uh, no one in that room, uh, I don't think, would go there. Um, for me, what I believe is that uh, when you find yourself in situations like this, that's why you have a structure in place is to kind of protect the the individuals um, during tough circumstances. And... Um, you know, certainly, uh, I in between periods we talked about um, sticking together and grinding through the, those tough circumstances, and um, nobody was pointing fingers. There were no independent contractors out there. Uh, we ground through it as a team. Uh, we're going to use it as a growth opportunity going forward. So there you have it. So 5-1 and one now under Woodcroft are the Oilers. They've moved up into third place in the Pacific Division in a pretty good race there. And now some tough tests ahead on this five-game road trip. Like I said, Tampa Bay on Wednesday. On the weekend, they got Florida and Carolina. These are some of the best teams in the NHL. So is this going to be a measuring stick, Coach? I understand the narrative. I I get it. I understand the narrative. Uh, But like I said, I'm going to keep going back to this. We've asked our players to keep our pitcher small, um, to not worry about uh, noise from the outside, to just worry about controlling um, their effort, their energy level, uh, their, their details in practice, and being the best they can on a daily basis. And that is where our attention is. And like I said, starts with the travel day it moves on to a practice day and uh, eventually we're gonna you know be ready to play um, the Tampa Bay Lightning all right Jay Woodcroft keeping it all even keel here through his first week and a half as Oilers head coach hopefully it stays that way Mm -hmm. so the game on uh, Wednesday that's a four o'clock face-off show game at 5 30 here on 6 30 Chad yeah good to be uh, good to see how the Oilers can do against the Lightning all right we're gonna call a quick timeout 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And you'll hear from Victor Kui, new president and CEO of your Edmonton Elks, when we get back to Inside Sports. Well, it was January 25th, a pretty significant day in the uh, history of the Edmonton Elks. Now, you all know what a, a miserable year it was in 2021 for the Elks. Just three wins in 14 games, not very competitive. And then major changes after the season. Chris Preston was fired, the president and CEO. Head coach Jamie Elizondo was fired. GM Brock Sunderland was fired. Chris Jones hired just before Christmas as the new head coach and GM. And then, yes, in late January, Victor Kui, a man with a really interesting story and roots here in Edmonton, was brought in as the president and CEO. Reed, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Congratulations on the new job. I'm going to dive right in here. What interests you most about becoming the president and CEO of the Elks? You know, it, that's a really great question that I love to answer because um, it's funny that how life gets this intersection of luck and fate and things come together. And I just feel so fortunate that I've had this life that has taken me all around the world and opportunities in sports over the last 25 years in some great organizations, everything from the Commonwealth Games to Golf Canada to ESPN Star Sports in Asia to um, to my last company with one championship and learn and study from some of the best practices in sports business around the world. And then now I get to come home and take all of this knowledge, all of this experience of a lifetime and bring it back to a team that I love and care about and was a huge part of my life growing up. So really, to me, this looks in my mind like the, the opportunity where everything is magically lined up. And I'm so grateful to have had the support and confidence from the Edmonton Elks Board of Directors who have done a really a phenomenal job in uh, their efforts to, to right the ship and get us ready for this new season. Okay, so, you know, it's interesting. I, I just played those Michael Riley highlights. And first of all, he was Mike when he played here. His mother, unfortunately, passed away before the past season. And he said, hey, she called me Michael. I want everybody to call me Michael. Michael. And his dad, Pat Riley, has uh, been a huge influence in his life as well. So on the theme of parents, can you tell me the influence uh, of your parents on you as a person and now towards getting this job? Well, it, it, you know, when you think about it, it's really this kind of crazy immigrant story that is shared over and over from a lot of people across Canada. My parents, they moved here from the tropical islands of the Philippines and landed in Edmonton and then were sent off to work in Rimby as uh, a nurse. My mother was a nurse and my father an engineer. And 
this is back when there was no internet. So it's not like you could Google, where is Rimby? How cold is it? They landed, and I remember my dad told me, when he felt minus 40, he thought he was dying. Like, he just didn't have any context of what that kind of temperature meant. And uh, over the years, they brought their entire family over, um, their relatives, and we just always had in our household families that were coming to Edmonton living with us. You know, probably, oh, I'm going to say at least 30 families over the years that at some point stayed with us. And one of the things that we regularly did was we would get them that Edmonton jersey, we'd go to a football game, and we would let them see and experience what it meant to be in a screaming stadium of people that love the city. And, uh, and that is such a magical part of when sport becomes part of the cultural fa fabric. And I really have to thank my parents for being brave enough to do what they did at that time and, and move here and then give me the opportunity to be born here. Because quite frankly, if I was in their shoes, I don't know if I could have been that brave to get up on a plane and go and not know anything about where I was landing or not have any friends or people. And um, my family is really important to me. They, they, my parents have lived with me um, the whole time that I was in Asia for the last uh, 16 years. And uh, for the first five years or six years of my marriage, until my in-laws, they both unfortunately have passed away. We all lived together. My in-laws and my parents and us were all in the same house. So family is one of the most important guiding values of my life. Yeah, well said. Victor Kui joining us tonight on Inside Sports. He's the new president and CEO of the Edmonton Elks. Okay, so your, your journey is an amazing one and a really cool one. But of course, we got to look ahead, and you got a big job ahead of you, uh, Victor. Again, I'm going to reference. I'm going to reference Michael Riley. You know, the the team won the Grey Cup in 2015. The season ticket base went down the next year. There's there's been a decline in attendance, kind of around the league for about the last uh, 10 to 15 years. But as you said, you know from a younger person, and even some of the games in recent years, what it can be like in Commonwealth Stadium if you get people in there and you get them excited. How do you get people? Uh, back into the routine of regularly attending double E football games. The challenge for all sport properties around the world is actually quite similar. Everybody's facing this challenge of attracting new fans, uh, you know, older population, um, more competitiveness for people's disposable income and more options. Everything from staying at home and and ordering a movie to going to an actual movie. Uh, maybe before there was COVID and, and, or buying a sport ticket. The, here's the thing, you know, that, that is magical about sports is that when you go to the stadium and you put on this jersey, there's this magical experience that happens where it doesn't matter what your race, culture, religion, background, age, your title, whether you're rich or you're poor, you put on the Edmonton Elks jersey and you become a part of the Elks family. And you stand there in a crowd of 30,000 people next to a stranger that you don't know, but in unison you cheer with this illogical belief 
But if you cheer and yell your heart out, it will somehow impact the field of play and your passion will go onto the field and powerfully motivate and move the, the players. And that is just the magic of sports. Now, it's our obligation as administrators of this great legacy of the team to remind people of what that passion feels like. And we have to do that every day. We can't just do it during the season. We have to do it today in the middle of winter when it's minus 30 and give Edmontonians and our fans that fire in their heart that comes from sports and from a team that is one of the best organizations and the flagship, flagship organization in the league. All right. Uh, a couple other things I want to ask you about, Victor, uh, uh, and, and I know you're just diving in, but I'm sure from your previous experience, you might have some thoughts on this, even if you haven't totally nailed down what's going to happen with the Elks. Uh, there was a switch to mobile ticketing in 2021. It did not go smoothly for all fans, including a couple games for me as a season ticket holder. Uh, are, are there some things that need to be worked out here? Will mobile ticketing continue to be sort of the wave of the future for the Elks and around the CFL? When you adopt any new change, there's always going to be a bunch of hiccups. But the key is to make it as painless of a, of a transition for everybody, all the stakeholders, fans, sponsors, partners, etc. I don't know. I can't speak to those problems. I really haven't had a chance to dive under the hood yet to see everything that we need to make a priority. But I can say that if we are not taking care of our fans, if we're not making this the kind of experience from the moment they leave their house until the moment they get back and make that whole journey a magical experience then for their entire family, then we're doing something wrong. So we've got to figure that out. And I look at it as the, the fans' journey, not just, you know, as you say, when you walk in and show your ticket, whether it's on your phone or not, like it, it starts way before that. So there is an entire review that we want to look through and make sure that every step and every interaction we do with fans is going to make it a great experience. Obviously, a major, major story with this franchise over the last couple of years was the name change. And, uh, you know, Chris Preston was your predecessor, and he had said, um, you know, there's going to be more stuff with jerseys and imaging once we can get out of the pandemic and get into 2022. Again, I know I'm throwing this at you here in your first few days uh, on the job, um, but, but I assume... I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I assume trying to build a connection between the community and the Elks name is important because, I, you know, I do hear from a lot of people who are still quite upset about the name change. I, I really believe in respecting tradition and history. I'm a huge history buff, and I know that valuing and understanding and, and storytelling from generation to generation of history is very important. I never want to disrespect that. But I also know that it's important to have an eye to the future. And um, I'm open to any suggestions. We're gonna look, I think we're going to look at everything that we can do. But I'll, I'll say this, Reed. In my opinion, and I, I remember I said this to our team a couple days ago. In my opinion, success and what makes greatness isn't a logo. It isn't the colors. It isn't material or infrastructure things what makes greatness in an organization is it's is its people 
and the Edmonton Elks organization from the board down to the staff to the players to every single pe person there is amazing like if you think about what the organization has had to go through in this COVID period over the last two years and emerge out of this stronger and better and ready to ignite the community that is on the backs of the amazing sacrifices and the hard work that the team that has been there for the last two years have done so really i'm really really proud and humbled to have been given this opportunity to work with them and lead the organization what uh tell me a little bit about uh, your, your what you the kind of stuff you did at the u of a because i believe you were were you president of the students union vice president Vice President, wow, you're going to make me dig back into the archives of my memory. Um, well, because I found out today we graduated from the U of A in the same year. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Um, I was uh, uh, VP internal or student life at that time. I, it was internal, I think, at that time they called it. And I was in charge of the week of welcome, basically anything that was fun and parties and sports fell under that portfolio everyone else had to do real work i just had to throw parties okay well that's uh, that sounds like fun and i and i know uh you're you have a lot of serious work to do with the elks but uh it's it sounds to me like you want to make it a bit of a party atmosphere inside commonwealth stadium which is uh, going to be fun have you talked to chris jones at all oh yeah absolutely we, we had a great chat and um I am so excited to be working with him. You know, when I was in the in the Navy, in the in Naval Reserves here in Edmonton with HMCS Nonsuch, my captain always used to say to me, when you're building a ship or you're building your team, do it so that one plus one does not equal two. Make it one plus one equals three so that you are force multiplied. And every interaction I have with Chris Jones, I feel like we are going to be force multiplied together. He is so well respected. He's really, really good at what he does. And we are, I think we are a very good complement. And uh, I think the board did a fantastic job in that selection. That is Victor Quee. You can't doubt his energy. He is, uh, he's off and running. He's uh, putting himself out there on social media, getting involved with the fans. We've uh, seen some ticketing promotions launched today uh, aimed at getting families and new fans into Commonwealth Stadium for the upcoming season. There's going to be that double header in October. The Golden Bears are going to play a game at noon. The uh, Elks are going to play a CFL game at 5. So some exciting stuff right now for the Green and Gold. That was Victor Quee. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. As we take you through the best of inside sports on this family day on 630 Chet. Edmonton Oilers coming off that loss last night to the Minnesota Wild in the air today, and the five-game road trip will start 
on Wednesday against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We have it for you here on 6.30, Chet. The face-off show will be at 4, and the puck will drop at 5.30. Always a lot going on with the Edmonton Oilers, and uh, certainly this month has been a busy one. Jay Woodcroft taking over as head coach. He is 5-1 and one so far behind the bench. The coaching change was made on February 10th. Dave Tippett was fired as head coach. His associate coach, Jim Playfair, was also dismissed. So Woodcroft, along with Dave Manson, were brought up from the farm team, the Bakersfield Condors. And it was uh, on that day I spoke to Craig McTavish, who, as general manager of the Oilers, fired two coaches himself. Well, I mean, the, the first guy I let go was Ralph when I was named GM. And... Yep. Uh, that that was i just felt we needed a younger voice and uh we needed a little uh, uh shock treatment to the group uh i really respected dallas uh as a guy that uh whose voice would resonate with uh with those uh young players that we had uh and then when i let dallas go that was you know completely for different reasons it was i mean i knew Dallas wasn't going to survive it long term. It was pretty much near the end of the year. There were a couple months left at the most. And, uh, you know, the, I just saw that guy. He poured his heart into everything he did. And uh, it was really grating on him. And, uh, you know, it was just, it was torturous. Our team just was nowhere near good enough. It certainly wasn't uh, the coach's fault in that instance. I wasn't blaming Dallas. Uh, as Kenny was not blaming uh, Tip today, uh, but it was more uh, uh, more for Dallas really than anybody else, just to uh, you know release him from the uh, from the the responsibility. Because the coach, nobody takes the losses harder than the coach, and I've told you that before in some of the other shows that we've done. And uh, you know the thing about playing as opposed to coaching is as a player you can take some satisfaction out of a game that you lose where you've played well you've uh, laid it on the line you've done what you needed to do for your team so you can feel okay about yourself as a player after a loss you can get some satisfaction self-satisfaction out of that as a coach you can it's all result oriented i mean you can play well and lose and you, I guess you feel a little bit better, but it's all result oriented. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's always difficult. One thing that we've known, uh, through history and all these coaching changes that have happened over the last number of years, and not just with us here in Edmonton, but around the league that it's seldom is the coach that's responsible for the performance level of the team. I mean, these things seldom, seldom work. But on occasion, there are significant changes. And I think, uh, you know, in listening to Kenny today and uh, uh, trying to understand uh, the motivation there, I mean, I, I think something uh, needed to be done. And uh, he, he went uh, to bat for uh, tip you know, maybe a month ago or a few weeks ago. And generally, there's only one of those in, in, in the coaching business. But, uh, you know, it's a tough day for, for everybody because 
you know these are these are really he's a really good coach and uh i mean he did a lot of great things here over the tenure that he was here i give jimmy playfair a lot of credit for how he handled and developed darnell nurse so i mean but it's coaching you're defined by your shortcomings i mean <laughs> it's it's just the way it is and uh there's always been a fundamental problem for coaches and that is it's extremely tough to do and you have to have a significant skill set to come close to an NHL head coaching job and but all those skills are uh, really taken for granted and you're defined by your shortcomings I mean it's just it's, it's really tough to do and it's really easy to criticize because you normally criticize in hindsight and it's just it's it's the way it's always been and it'll continue to be there but it is a fundamental problem for the coaches yeah well and and as you know i've been talking about it a lot the last couple of months uh, rob and i after games lots of calls from people and i'm going to open up the phone lines after seven o'clock uh and i know i'm going to hear a lot of different perspectives so but, but you did use an interesting phrase a coach is defined by his shortcomings and and i know you got a lot of respect for tip and, and so do i but were there some shortcomings or something about tips approach that you felt you know, had become a shortcoming or, or just that it appeared to you wasn't getting through to the team or translating on the ice well, I, I just think it, the ultimate thing that uh, was his undoing was the inconsistency of the group. They looked so good for so long. And then, as Kenny said today in his press conference, th there were a lot of, uh, you know, reasons for, for, for the slide. I mean, the team wasn't healthy. The team's not that deep. You and I have talked about that before. So injuries, uh, COVID-related uh, absences, they have a real significant effect on uh, on the t on the team, and then if the goalie's off a little bit, then, I mean, all those things played a huge part uh, for for the uh, for the slides, and didn't didn't you know? I I never really attributed any of that to the coaching staff. So then we got healthy and uh, went on a run. There was a lot of optimism coming through the. Uh, the all-star game I, I i was on board i thought the team was playing well i liked the makeup of the team and uh you know the last two games were were uh were, were not good and uh i mean do i blame that on the coaching staff and tip no because it's a collaborative effort that goes out that gate every night but there were things that uh you know a lot of a lot of things that uh that uh, didn't go well from from uh, a defensive standpoint, and you know we didn't have we we hit what eight posts in the last two games. I mean we we're a long way away from winning in both those games. It looked like, but that would have helped. And uh, you know I, I think uh, you know the odd man rushes and stuff like that. It's all the same as Kenny said very appropriately today there'll be somebody here 20 years from now saying the exact same thing the verbiage and the dialogue will be a little bit different but it'll be the same issues and it's always the same issues in hockey it doesn't matter whether you're coaching peewees or you're coaching uh, nhl players it's the same mistakes made in the same critical areas of the game at the same critical times that are going to be your undoing and uh 
you know, the last two games, after all that optimism coming out at home, and, and I was fearful of the Chicago game because I knew uh, our team, the Oilers, would be tight, obviously, because there was a lot of pressure on them. And uh, Chicago's coming in pretty loose, and they're kind of out of it, and they're dangerous enough. And then uh, we gave them a bunch of a, a bunch of chances and odd man chances, and you know, I thought Mike Smith played played well and uh they beat him uh, four times both nights so i, I mean I, I i enjoy your perspective on that um you, you did mention the odd man rushes and that's been going on for a while certainly rob and i have talked about that i mean even even some of the games the orders have won it's maybe been a ratio of three to one odd man rushes against the oilers yeah like what what do you see that is is causing those to happen so frequently well the rush goals are and i'm going to generalize here not specific to the oilers the rush goals are normally caused and they emanate out of uh the offensive zone for the oilers and uh when you you, you when you burn three forwards and they're chasing the play back through the neutral zone then the neutral zone obviously opens up and there's a lot of 100 foot uh, diagonal lateral passes that are made in those instances and they're tough to defend for defensemen they've got to move over and that spreads them out and then they get an opportunity off the rush but uh you know, I'm, I'm not telling, I, I wouldn't be, Dave Tippett would be listening to this and uh, it's it's nothing that he doesn't know, I can guarantee you that. Uh, and I'm sure he's pointed that out, and, but it's it requires discipline, especially from your third forward, that uh, you can't be chasing the puck back. And it's the old Jacques Lemaire saying when, when I was doing uh, a coach's clinic with him, uh, with some... Uh, some uh, coaches at the draft, you see, you know, one thing you got to remember is there's two nets and they're both equally important. And we get a little horny on the offensive side at times because we are pretty prolific at scoring. And, uh, you know, sometimes we don't give the adequate amount of attention to the other net. And then, you know, Mike Smith's hung out and, uh, Miko gets uh, hung out a bit. At least that's what's happened the last couple games. It's always great to hear from Mac T. He's been uh, an awesome addition to the lineup here on Inside Sports. He joins us every couple of weeks, and he'll check in later this week for his latest thoughts on the Oilers. And uh, who knows what else we'll get into. Mac T's a pretty interesting, well-rounded guy. This is the best of edition of the show. We got a really cool story from the University of Alberta coming up, and uh, we will get reacquainted with a man you used to see on TV quite a bit. He was the Dan part of Jay. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Dan lost his job about a year ago. We'll see what's shaken with Dan O'Toole. Keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. 
So the schedule ahead for the Oilers. Now the next three games, pretty daunting. Tampa Bay, Wednesday, Florida, Saturday, Carolina, Sunday. All those three teams. Well, they're awesome, quite frankly. Next Tuesday, March 1st, Oilers at Philadelphia. And next Thursday, March 3rd, they are in Chicago. That is what is ahead for the five-game road trip. Next home game for the Oilers, Saturday, March 5th, going to be a 5 o'clock game against the Montreal Canadiens. Really cool story here out of the University of Alberta as we take you through the best of inside sports. Her name is Rachel Weeb, and she is the first female assistant coach in the history of the program. Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm sure you're uh, extremely busy with uh, with school and with coaching. So thanks for taking some time to uh, fit us here on Inside Sports. I, I want everybody to get to know you a, a little bit. Um, first of all, take us back. Uh, where did you grow up? And tell us about getting into hockey when you were younger. Yeah, for sure. So I grew up uh, in a small town in northern Alberta um, called Fairview. And so... My parents put me on skates probably about as soon as I could walk, and I fell in love with it and, you know, started playing right away there just in the in the leagues in town uh, on the co-ed teams. And then as I got older, going through, uh, starting through Bantam, um, I did my two years peewee with the body contact there, and then you know, I was pretty small going into Bantam, so I tried out for the midget trip, or the Bantam AAA team, sorry, in Grand Prairie, my two years there and then I uh, started my midget triple-a year there as well okay now I, I gotta go back you said your parents got you on skates when you were really small w- what's their connection to hockey or getting you involved in sports were they you know okay. high-level athletes themselves or what yeah, both my parents are very athletic, you know, like my my mom, she's, you know, track and field, volleyball, soccer, like she, she did everything as well. She's actually a, a gym teacher. Um, and my dad as well, he, you know, very athletic. He's a, a big hockey guy too. So they're always, you know, both my brother and I, they got us in all the sports when we were younger. Okay, so there you go. So you're going to be good at something, I guess, <laughs> given that family history. That's pretty cool. We're like, did, yeah. did you, did you seriously play any other sports along the way as well oh yeah yeah for sure i'm not as seriously as i took hockey but i mean you know i did i did track and field in high school junior high volleyball when i was younger i did soccer swimming um softball in the summers and my brother did a lot of the same as well Okay, awesome stuff. Now, so you mentioned you, you, you played hockey at a high level. Though I'm not sure, did, did an injury derail you along the way, or what happened here? Yeah, unfortunately. So throughout my hockey career, I sustained uh, several concussions, and then the, the career-ending one was in our playoff run at the end of my first year, midget AAA year. And unfortunately, after that, I had to make the tough decision that I uh, wasn't able to play anymore. Okay. So uh, now you're attending the U of A. You're uh, the assistant coach on Ian Herber's staff. And yes. like I should emphasize, like you're you're still only 22. Is that how old you are? Yeah. Yeah, I'm 22. Okay. So going to the U of A, what? How did you first get into coaching and helping out with the hockey teams here? 
So I actually started my coaching career back in Grand Prairie um, as a player. When I when, when I was able to play, you know, I'd help out with hockey camps, help run hockey camps in the summer, um, you know, throughout Northern Alberta. And then once I had to quit playing, um, I you know graduated, went to school, did two years of school in Grand Prairie there uh, at the GPRC, and I got my different coaching certificates and coached. Uh, you know, a couple helped coach some Team Alberta or sorry, Hockey Alberta camps in the summer, and then actually coached uh, one of the midget female teams in Grand Prairie before transferring over to the U of A. And I'd always wanted to play on the Pandas. You know, same thing. Like since I since I could skate, you know, I'd always come to the camps that they put on in the summer, and I always wanted to be a member of the team. And I thought, you know. It's why not reach out to Coach Howie Draper and see if they had any room for, for anybody just on the coaching staff or, you know, just to help out with the team in any way I could. Um, and and we met and I gave him a rundown of my hockey experience and he took me on as a, one of the assistant coaches on the team in the 2019-2020 season and that's kind of how it started off. Um, and then actually went with them to nationals that year. We had a, had a great season, but unfortunately, you know, the COVID year, we got shut down. We weren't able to compete in nationals. And then last year, there wasn't a whole lot for for seasons. And then this summer, uh, Ian had called me this, this summer and said, hey, you know, I'd like you on my team as an assistant coach. Would you be interested in coming on? And here we are. <laughs> Yeah, well, that, that, were you surprised Ian reached out to you, or how did you react? Yeah, it, it did catch me a little off guard. Um, we did know each other, you know, from my time with the Pandas. I'd met him met him when I was with Pandas, and I, I was a little bit surprised, but I'm very grateful that he did call me and provide this opportunity because it's been great so far. I'm, I'm loving it. Rachel Weeb joining us on Inside Sports. She is the first female member of the Alberta Golden Bears hockey coaching staff ever, which uh, which is a great milestone for you. Uh, but I have to ask you, I mean, you're you're the same age as a lot of the players. Um, you know, a lot of times it's uh, male coaches for uh, for men and on the women's side, you know, a lot of women's coaches, but but still a lot of men's coaches as well. Were Was it intimidating at all? Were you worried about how you would be accepted by the players or anything like that? How has that gone? You know, of course, it is going to be a little bit intimidating, um, but the team, they've been very welcoming. They've been very respectful. They've been very supportive. The players, are they're very uh, receptive and open to feedback. Um, but, you know, either way, whether it's coaching, coaching men's or women's, my focus is on building professional relationships with the athletes to know that I'm there to develop their skills and potential. And they help me improve as a coach with their feedback as well, which is information I value because open communication is important to continue to develop and succeed as a team. All right. Well, man, you're you're very well spoken. So I could I could definitely see you could easily get the players' respect for sure. What are some of the biggest things you've learned this year with Ian and the team? Uh, you know, for sure, a lot of preparation and time commitment that goes in the high level. You know, very competitive, high intensity game um, at this level, and there's a lot a lot of time for uh, preparation and commitment that goes into it. Well, that is a, a very busy and very accomplished young lady, 22 years of age and an assistant coach and full-time student at the U of A. Great, great story. All right, we got the news and weather coming up, and then 
formerly of TSN. He now has his own podcast. Dan O'Toole is next. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.